Okay, with this split sermon will consist primarily of a couple of stories or parables, and it's geared mainly to the youth, to young people, but I think the older people can um, have uh, some reasons to be interested in this as well. This is an old guy giving experience to the younger people, maybe, and hopefully it will be useful to you. Now, way back in the day, when I used to pastor in Florida, and was an elder for many years back there, um, I used to um, serve the youth and the singles in those days, and sometimes uh, the teens would ask me a question that went something like this. They would say, why can't I go out into the world and make my mistakes, okay, and then later repent and come into the church? Now, they didn't put it that way all the time, but I think one time somebody actually did put it that way. Why can't I do that? And that question sometimes is asked by young people, but frankly, it occurs to the adults too, doesn't it? Come on, did it ever occur to you when you were first getting involved in the church or basically when you were younger? Basically, what they're trying to ask is this. Why can't I enjoy some sins, enjoy some mistakes, before I have to repent and come into the church. Uh, now, you know, that's pretty close, pretty close, I think, to sometimes what people think. I call that question the prodigal son syndrome. And that's the title of this split sermon, the prodigal son syndrome. I call it, call it that way because it uh, sort of reflects the approach of the prodigal son in a parable that Jesus told. And I'm sure you're familiar with the parable in Luke chapter 15, but as we read through it, I'd like you to follow through it with me as we go through it. There may be something in there, just maybe, that you hadn't picked up on. I'm going to try to point that out today. Now, here's the uh, parable as Jesus told it, and I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version that I have here in my notes. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. A certain man had two sons, and the youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days later, the youngest son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions on prodigal living. Now, Prodigal living, that's okay, but the King James Version the old, calls it riotous living. I like that better. Old King James Version sometimes just kind of tells it like it is, and I like that. It's very descriptive. He wasted his substance on riotous living. Continuing, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Now, this is a, in a Gentile country. Or this is a young, prosperous Jewish boy we're picturing here. And he's gone into a Gentile country. He's in great want. And he's having to go, like, to get charity or to get work from this Gentile man. He's feeding pigs. Ooh, that's not good. And he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. So he was in a really bad way. 
He was starving. He was far, far from home. He was in an unfriendly territory. I imagine the people were not treating him well. He was in danger of starving, wallowing around with the pigs, feeding them with nothing to eat himself. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no more longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And figured that was probably the best thing he could do under the circumstances. And he rose and rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said, how far off was he? I'm not sure. Have you ever recognized somebody by the way they walk? People you know well, you could see them going in the other direction. But you can, they, people have a very distinctive gait of some sort. And you can really identify people, by the way, I bet maybe in the story, I'm reading too much into it, but maybe that was the way it was. But his father knew his son. He saw him a great way off. He experienced joy, great joy at seeing him, his son, come. You know, you think about the times that you've experienced joy. Joy is an emotion that sometimes we experience, but we don't really say, wow, this is a joyful time. It's a joyful experience. I'm just thinking back over the times I've experienced joy in my life. There have been many. It's wonderful to be able to do. Most of them are with my family, and I can see why the father would have felt that way. I mean, seeing my kids born, all four of them, I mean, you talk about joy. That was just wonderful to do that. And, you know, when I would come home from work in the evening, back in the day when they were small, and they would run home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, you know, that was great. That's just pure joy to do that. I think, but when I think of joy, I remember when we had a little Yorkie, and when I came, that dog would go tearing around the house, just running around the house with joy. Big dog is here. Boy, you talk about a greeting, you know. Joy. We, in many times in life, we experience joy. And here's a situation where the father had thought that his son may be dead. And here he comes. Here he comes. Joy. He went out. He grabbed him, gave him a bear hug, kissed him. And he's going to take care of him now. A particularly poignant moment because of his joy and his acceptance of his son coming home. Now, this is a theme in the Bible. I want to develop this a little bit. Jesus is talking about this here in Luke chapter 15. But go back up a few verses and begin in verse 1. What this, these are the verses that come just before this, uh, the story, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, this is about the shepherd who rejoices over the sheep that was lost. This is a theme in the Bible. It's something about our Father in heaven. This is some of his nature, some of the way he is, so we can learn about how God is in these matters. Verse 1, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus was eating with some kind of uh, dodgy characters there. They were not the nicest people around. The Pharisees wouldn't associate with them. And, of course, at this time, the church was not yet formed. 
And we have the Apostle Paul who has given us in the church somewhat different instructions, being inspired by Christ for the spiritual protection of the church as far as who you will associate with in certain situations. But this was the Messiah himself dealing with him, not a local uh, member. Verse 3, so he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And then, and when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, likewise, that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over the ninety-nine of uh, just person who uh, need no repentance. Well, those people, they're doing pretty well. They're not getting hurt by their mistakes. But God knows that the sins that people commit are harmful to them. Verse 8, or a woman, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, "Uh Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. How wonderful. That's the way God is. That's the way God is. So now... Let's continue on then with the prodigal son story. If you recall, he's gone off into the foreign land, wasted all his substance. He's come back. His father has received him with joy. Verse 21. And the son said to him, um, let's see, where, let's see. Okay, here we are. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. He was probably in tatters, barefooted, in terrible condition. And bring out the fatted calf here and kill it. He had one holding it up. Maybe it's a good idea to keep one around sometimes. Keep a couple of steaks in the fridge, I guess. And let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Sure they did. The father just could not restrain his joy. When the prodigal son left, the father knew what his foolish son was likely to get into. He already knew. And he knew that he had been suffering and could have died. He had been gone so long, he might not make it back. And, of course, his reaction, as we said, joy, just pure joy. Now, his older son was in the field, and he, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of his, the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed that fatty calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. So he uh, answered and said unto his father, Okay, here it comes. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me 
a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Well, I let him have it, didn't he? He sure did. But as soon as this, your, this son of yours has come, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. Wow. He has a point of view about this. Okay. Let's back up and take a look at what's going on here. It sounds like the lively, fun-loving younger son, you know, what did he do? Well, he got the best deal. Did he not get to go out and have his cake and eat it too? You ever noticed that? Did he not get to enjoy some really big mistakes and then suffer for it a bit and then come back to a party in his honor? Fatty calf and all. And while the dull, obedient, older brother sulks outside. That's his lot. Perhaps some of you would like to be like the prodigal son, too. What do you think? Maybe you're a bit like him. Some young people may unwittingly try to emulate him. That's that thought, the prodigal son syndrome that I'm referring to. Did the prodigal son actually come out ahead in the end? Did he have his cake and eat it too? Hmm, what do you think? What do you think? Let's leave that question hanging for a minute. We'll go to the second point. Before we answer that question, let me tell you another story. This is a modern parable. I call it the hammer and the nails. The hammer and the nails. Another story, okay? Uh, there was once a boy who had just turned about 13 years old, and his father took him out into the backyard of his home where there were some fine old fruit trees. And there the man gave his son a new hammer and a container full of nails of all sizes. Now he had some finishing nails in, you know, some short ones there, and he had maybe some eight-penny nails like you would like connect two-by-fours with. And then he had maybe some 16-penny spikes in there as well, some great big ones. And they stood before one of the trees, and the father said, Over the next few years, every time you make a mistake, I want you to come out to this tree and drive a nail into the trunk. You're going to do a little mistake, you're going to do a little nail. Medium-sized mistake, you decide. Medium-sized nail, big mistake. Pound the big one in there. And then, for every time you correct one of those mistakes... Come out and pull one of those nails out. Okay? And this boy said, sure, Pop. And away they went. Well, the lad was true to his word, and over the next few years, he drove nails of all sizes into that fruit tree. He pulled some out, but a lot of the nails and spikes were accumulating. But by the spring of his junior year in high school, he noticed that the tree was not blooming that spring. We've got... Beautiful trees blooming all over town. Cherry trees, the red buds are exceptional this year. And the fruit trees, I hope down in Spartanburg, the peach trees are doing well. Okay? Really looking forward to that. But in this particular case, the tree um, uh, would not, uh, was not blooming, so it probably was not going to produce fruit that year. The trunk of the tree was scarred and full of rusty nails, and as a result, sap was running down the trunk. At worst, insects had infested the bark around the wounds in the trunk of the tree. And there was the real possibility that it might not survive the next winter, the whole tree. Of course, the young man long understood 
that the tree was a metaphor for his life, and he became determined that he would reverse directions and mend mistakes in a number of areas. And each time he turned from a mistake or corrected one, he pulled more and more nails out. He had hammered them in, and then he went out every time he did, and he would pull that nail out. A lot of satisfaction in that, I would guess. And finally, on the day of his graduation from high school, he called his father into the backyard, and with the same hammer he had been given, he pulled out the last big rusty spike out of that tree trunk. He was a big, strapping young man by that time. He hooked that thing up, and he tugged and tugged and pulled it out, just like it had been to correct that mistake in his life. Dad, he said to him, I did what you told me. I drove the nails in, and I have pulled them out, all of them. His father replied, son, you did well to be able to pull the nails out, and I am proud of your achievement. But now look at the trunk of the tree. The scars those nails made will be many years in healing, and some damage will always remain in the wood. This son understood. So, the point is this, and I think there's an important lesson here. You can drive all kinds of nails into the tree of your personal life and then uh, turn around and try to pull them out the best you can. And many people do a heroic job of that. You've just done, the people here that have done that and done wonderful jobs, and in the ministry we see that many times over the years. And it's very important to remember that upon true repentance, God will forgive you completely. And begin the healing process. You can always come back to your Heavenly Father. You can always come back to your Heavenly Father. And even if you are far away, your earthly parents will uh, welcome you back as well. But the scars in your life that those nails and spikes made, well, they'll remain. And the healing process can take many years. You can never go back to where you were before you made the mistakes. You can't go back. You can start anew, but you can't go back to where you were before. Sin can be forgiven, but it always has consequences. What you do affects your life, and more importantly, it changes you. And some choices that you make affect your whole life, whether to be good for the good or for the bad. And by the way, the choices you make affect other people's lives as well whether good or bad. Sometimes some of the worst things we've seen happen to people are the result of other people's bad choices. You do not want to live with having caused someone else to suffer. But all of God's choices, all of God's choices are good choices. They're the good ones. They're in his word. We've heard about them some in the earlier uh, split sermon. They are good choices. If we make those choices They will serve us well. God's divine law reflects the character of God, and he's given it to us for our good. Okay, point three, back to the prodigal son. Now, you may have noticed, if you were following along in your Bible and quoting the story, I didn't quite finish it. Uh, It's important to read the last two verses, and I stopped at verse 30. Okay, let's go on and read the rest, 
to see what the real story is, what really happened to the prodigal son. Reading Luke chapter 15, verses 31 and 32. We see that the older son, he's very angry. His father has come out and he's trying to comfort and encourage his older son, this wonderful, faithful son. I've always really wondered about the father. Uh, Maybe this was a real man that Jesus knew, maybe not. But I wonder whether the father should have rewarded the older son more. Giving him one lousy kid goat something. I mean, he said, you never even gave me a a a little goat, you know. I, I really wonder if the father regretted not having done that after his son told him that. And just want to mention, you know, um, children, of course, sometimes need their parents' forgiveness. But kids, sometimes parents need forgiveness, too. Okay? We need forgiveness, too. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. Okay. Notice that the father told the brother, did you ever read over this and didn't see it? All that I have is yours. No more division of the estate there. No more division of the inheritance. The younger brother's inheritance was gone, and his life was irrevocably changed. Everything the father had was going to the older brother. He, younger brother ate his cake, and it's gone. That's what that amounts to. No flocks, no property, no servants, nothing. In those days, he probably probably would have spent the rest of his life serving his older brother. And he had to live, of course, with the scars of the humiliating experiences that he had in the foreign land. He did not have his cake and eat it, too. He only had his cake. Or ate his cake, and he did not get to have it any further. What you do changes you and your life, whether for your harm or for your good. All right, point number four, just one more thing. One more thing about that. Those who suffer from the prodigal son syndrome make another mistake as well. The popular culture, I really appreciate Dr. Scott's remarks about this. The popular culture, I mean, it constantly attacks God's way of life. And youth are misled into believing that the life that God has for us is not full of the abundant blessings that he says. First, they present, I'm talking about this world and just the general popular culture that our kids have to deal with it. They present their picture as being wonderful and great and cool and everything that you'd like to be, but it's not. It's not. And then, on the other hand, they're presenting the church and our faith and our way of life as being unduly restrictive or a burden. You're missing out on everything. Why do you want to do that? Well, actually, the instructions for living that God gives us in his word is full of great blessings. And far from being a restriction or a burden, of course, it makes you free. As God said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, It talks about God's commandments and statutes, his whole way of life. They're given for our good. Verse 12, 
I'll just read it. Now, Israel, what does your, the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day for your good, for your good. Our God is giving He is filled with good things for us. He wants to do good things for us. He wants to develop that in us. He's developing in us the character of people who want to do good forever, who want to give forever. It's a wonderful way of life, a wonderful way to be. When we come to Christ in true repentance, of course, we are still guilty of our past sins. We remember that this time of the year. And knowing that, our Father in heaven has made it possible for us to be fully forgiven and fully cleansed of the guilt of our past mistakes. And this cleansing begins a lifelong journey of abundant life, a good life that he has for us. And it leads to the kingdom of God and eternal life. In doing this, God gives us not only a change of life, but a change of mind that begins a process of inward transformation. He is forming his and Jesus Christ's own character in us. Once again, I really appreciated the earlier comments that Dr. Scott made. Make a parallel comment here, a parallel point about conversion. When we talk about someone's will to do this or that, what do we mean? You talk about what is your will. Is it your will to go to Virginia for the feast? or to the Mount of the Ozarks for the feast? What is your will in that matter? Well, you know, if you save your second tithe, then you can choose whichever one you want. Your will is your power to choose, a good general definition. We talk about will all the time, but think of it as your power to choose something. Yes, I will have tea and not coffee because I have a choice of both. I want one or the other, and I may choose. It is my power to do that. Well, one useful way to think about conversion is that we are converted to the extent that our wills become like our Heavenly Father's and about Jesus Christ's. We're going to get to choose as they do forever, and that's what he wants to see. He's building holy, righteous character in you, and that comes down to what you choose to do. What do you choose when you have the choice, when you have the power to choose? Or do you do what God would do? had some very interesting points made on that a little bit earlier. What do you choose when you can? Will you choose like God chooses forever? He wants to know. So he's developing that in us. His spirit works with us. Every time we're given a choice to make, we make the choice, we make the right choice, and then it changes us. What you do changes you. His spirit works in us. And in doing so, God gives us a change of life and a change of mind. His spirit is doing this in all of us. Now, some people not in our church like to say, well, you can't keep the commandments. You ever heard that one? (laughs) You're wrong. They're wrong. You won't if you don't want to, but you will if you do. You know, um, For instance, if you've been taking God's name in vain your whole life and you repent of it, repentance, it changes what you're going to say in the future. Repentance looks to the future. It changes what you're going to do. 
But it can't change what you did. Only one thing can change what you did and remove the guilt of your past sins. And we remember that this time of the year. This is the time of Passover and the days of unleavened bread. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ removes the guilt of our past sins. And then he gives you his Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands by one of his true ministers so that you want very much to have clean speech and to avoid profaning his name in the future. Just one commandment as an example. But it is true that we can't keep God's commandments perfectly. He understands that. And if you slip up and say the wrong things, you've made a mistake. And God has made provisions for that. Let's look at Second John, chapter Second uh, John, verses seven and eight. Second John, verses seven and eight. Sorry, Second John chapter, chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8. In this, the Apostle John is addressing members of the church, not the general public, but members of the church. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, we think about that as Passover. We go through the process of examining ourselves, of putting the leaven out of our lives, and as we think about, as we do that, we think about putting the leaven of sin out of our lives. That pictures the process of repentance, and it's ongoing for us in God's church. And then we take the Passover. Our Passover, Jesus Christ, was sacrificed for us to remove the guilt of our past sins. Continuing, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, that is, in repentance, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is, cleansing ongoing. It's an ongoing thing. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Christ is our advocate on an ongoing basis, ongoing. We go before him in prayer, and we say, I'm so sorry I did this. I made the mistake. I'm sorry. And then he forgives us. Continuing, um, this will be chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. There's no chapter break in the original text. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not um, ours only, but for the whole world. Ongoing. Days of unleavened bread. It's all encapsulated here. We are forgiven and then we go and we take the days of unleavened bread and we remember that we find sin, maybe a little leaven here and there, and we put it out. We keep it out. We eat unleavening during uh, unleavened bread during that time. Verses 3 through 6. You know, but having the great blessing of ongoing forgiveness does not mean we can break God's commandments. John continues. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who um, uh, says he abides in him 
ought himself also to walk as he walked. And Jesus Christ kept all ten of the Ten Commandments, just like you're keeping the fourth one today. Keep putting out that old leaven and then feeding on the unleavened bread of life, Jesus Christ. This is so important that God has us act it out every year so that we don't forget. And we're about to go into that season. This is an important feature of our Christian lives. When our Lord said, I am the way, he wasn't kidding. He is the way, and Jesus is the only way to life. If we choose another way for a while, well, you might find your way back. But as we all seen, there are no guarantees in the ministry. We've seen that many times. Somebody falls by, some may fall by the wayside, and they, we never see them again. They're gone. Or maybe when they finally find their way back, maybe their lives qualify as a federal disaster area. I don't know. But God heals, and he helps, and we want to support those people who do that. Letting God design your life and character from the beginning is a blessing all of your life and a blessing for those you love as well. Well, you don't have to go into a foreign land these days to find riotous living. You can find it on your computer. You can go into a room, be by, you don't even need other people to have riotous living. You can go in your room, your office, whatever, get on the computer, go on the internet, or games, whatever, and you riot it. It's as bad or worse than anything the prodigal son would have seen in the foreign land. It's a corrupt and hazardous world out there, sadly. So choose God's way of life now, which is abundant life, and then it leads to eternal life. Avoid the prodigal son syndrome and let God design and build you even from your youth.